I want for mail. I'm not an Arab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're 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 a Tunisian Jew. Welcome, welcome everybody. Um, we are right now in a uh, in a unique Torah portion and a unique Shabbos. This is Parshas Vayes Hanan, which is um, a very beautiful Parsha with some very important uh, pieces of Torah in them that we'll talk about in a moment. This is also called Shabbos Nachamu, which is means the Shabbos of Consolation, the Shabbos of Comfort, which takes place after Tisha B'Av. We have a Shabbos of, specifically of Comfort, and we actually have seven of them, but this is the first of them. And also we have coming up this Shabbos is something called Tuba'av, which is a day to celebrate love and Shaduchim, getting married. And uh, it's a joyous day. And um, I don't know if we're going to get into the reasons for that right now, but uh, on my other podcast, we're going to discuss it briefly, probably. And now, okay, let's talk about this week's Parsha. So in this week's parsha, it starts out, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe is praying heartfully to enter into the land of Israel. And he wants so badly to go to the land of Israel, and he is denied. He's denied from going into Israel. And the Rashi tells us that he davened 515 times to enter into the land of Israel. Had he prayed one more time, one more time, his prayer would have been answered. And he would have been allowed to go into Israel. It's very fascinating. 515 times, you know what that is? The number 515. From Tuba'af. Tuba'af, which is coming up this Shabbos, was the day in the desert that the Jews stopped dying. For 40 years after the sin of the spies, really 30 38 years after the sin of the spies, the Jews would pass away in the desert on Tisha B'Av. And that year, Tisha B'Av came and no one died. And they thought, maybe we got mixed up. Maybe we didn't count properly. Maybe it's not Tisha B'Av yet. And they waited until Tuba'av, which is the full moon, the 15th of Av. When they saw the 15th day of the month, which is the full moon, came and people didn't die, they said, this must be our last year in the desert. It's time to start journeying to the land of Israel. So from that day on, from Tuba'av until Moshe's last day on earth, he prayed to enter into the land of Israel. And there are 200 days between Tuba'av and Zion Adar, the seventh of Adar, when Moshe dies. 200 days. If you subtract from those 200 days the amount of Shabbases that there are, in 200 days, so 200 divided by 7 is 28. So that brings us to 200 minus 28 is 172. 172 non-Shabbos days. And if you add on to those three prayers a day, you get 516. So Moshe prayed every single day except for Shabbos to enter into the land of Israel until the day he died. Had he said one more prayer, the 516th, he would have been allowed into Israel. Why did Moshe want to go into Israel so badly? That's question number one, okay? Question number one, 
Well, why did he want to go into Israel so badly? Moshe was connected to God on the highest level. What does he need to go into Israel for? The Holy Land. I don't need any milk and honey. What does Moshe need milk and honey for? Moshe is already connected to God. We need a holy land because we don't see God so easily, right? They say in uh, in America, if you want to talk to God, you got to make a long distance call. In Israel, it's local. It's a local call. Much better connection. But Moshe didn't need that. Moshe was already connected to God, okay? That's question number one. Okay, now let's go through the Parsha. The Parsha, this is... Mount Sinai, take two. In this week's Parsha, Moshe himself recounts the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, in his own words. And he goes through at length to talk about what we saw at Mount Sinai. Fire, thunder, lightning, we heard, uh, we saw sounds, we saw the, the, the sounds and we heard the sights. Things were very different at Mount Sinai. And then he also makes it very clear what we didn't see. We did not see any shape or any form on Mount Sinai. God did not appear to us in any body. God, as the Maimonides, the Rambam says, God does not have a body. God is infinite. God is not physical. So he goes through the whole thing at Mount Sinai and even deeper, we have some of the most beautiful verses. Listen to this verse, okay? The verse says that at Mount Sinai, you saw you saw that God is God that Hashem is God in the heavens and above and on the earth you have been shown to see that there's nothing besides God. Ain old milvado. That's like a famous, famous Jewish phrase. And the Talmud says, if you're ever being attacked by a sorcerer, or a witch, or a wizard, magician, you have to think, ain old milvado. There's nothing but God. And then the, the magic has no power over you. So if you're ever in a situation where someone's trying to do witchcraft on you, meditate on the fact that there's nothing but God. Nothing but God. There's no other power than God. But we'll see deeper. There's nothing that exists besides God. God is the only reality. The, I believe the, the Briskarov, a famous Rosh Yeshiva was, rabbi was escaping from the Nazis and he told his son, meditate when they, they saw that their train was being boarded by Nazis checking papers and they didn't have papers. He said to his son, do not for a second take your mind off of the, the meditation of Ain Od Malvado, there's nothing but Hashem, and nothing can harm us. And they sat there in tremendous concentration, what's called Devakis, a spiritual enlightened consciousness, and the Nazis walked right past them without checking their papers. So, very powerful, powerful idea. But it goes even deeper. The Talmud explains, and Rashi quotes, that at Mount Sinai, Hashem opened up all seven heavens. He meaning Hashem opened the entire universe and all the spiritual realms. And He ripped open the upper universe, the heavens, 
the spiritual worlds. And he ripped open the bottom worlds. He ripped open the earth and everything in it and the lower worlds. And you saw that Hashem is Yechidi. Hashem is alone. There is nothing but Him. Hashem is unique. Hashem is one. That's what Rashi says. Very incredible. And there's another verse that says, uh, just a few lines later, And you should know today, And place it into your heart. That Hashem is God. And we're going to understand what that means in a moment. In the heavens above and on the earth below, there is nothing else but God. Nothing else but God. Okay, very powerful stuff. And then the Torah goes on and talks about, the Parsha goes on and says the Ten Commandments. We hear the Ten Commandments again. And then after the Ten Commandments, Hashem commands us to go back to our tents, it says. After the Ten Commandments, go back to your tents, return to your tents. And then it says that the people said, Nasev Anishma, we will do and we will hear, famous line. And then one of the most famous, if not the most famous verses in the Torah is the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance in this week's Parsha. What's the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance? Shema Yisrael. This week's Parsha, we have the first paragraph of the Shema. Unbelievable. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, Hashem Echad. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And then we have a big warning not to forget Hashem, not to forget God and not to worship idols. So here are my questions for you. Ready? Question number one, why does Moshe want to go into the land of Israel so badly? Question number two, when the Torah is telling us that God did not appear in a body, and it goes into great depth, don't forget you saw no creatures on Mount Sinai. You saw nothing. Very important, right? Listen to this. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> you did not see don't don't lapse into making a statue for yourselves or an image of any form the shape of a male or female the shape of any animal that is on the earth the shape of any winged bird that flies in the sky the shape of anything that crawls on the ground the shape of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth be careful if you lift your eyes to the skies and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the hosts of the skies, which God has given to you, under the skies for all the nations, not to be drawn astray, to bow down to them and worship them. Why? You should guard yourselves very carefully and remember that you did not see any image on that day on Mount Sinai. Okay? Clear? You did not see any image. Clear, everyone? The Torah said it very clearly. Not a male, not a female, not a bird, not a fish, not an animal, not a star, not a moon. Guys, got it? We didn't see any. What did we see at Mount Sinai? Nothing. Now, what does the Talmud learn from this verse? Unishmartem ma'od l'nafshoseichem. You should guard yourselves very carefully not to think that God has a body and not to worship an idol. Okay, but what does the Talmud learn from that? Matt, you know this? Do you know what we learned from that? The Talmud learns from that that we're obligated to take care of our health. You should guard very carefully your soul. Says the Talmud, you have to protect your health. And from that verse, 
we learned that it's forbidden to smoke cigarettes, it's forbidden to eat unhealthy food, to overeat, person has to exercise, person has to, you know, do all the things that are necessary for health. Go on the treadmill with me every night, lift weights. Now, no, not with me, on their own treadmill, but at the same time as me. Okay, so now let me ask you a question. Those two things sound like opposites. The verse says, you should know, on Mount Sinai, God does not have a body. There is no physicality with God, says the Talmud, and you have to protect your body. That's what we learn from this verse. The opposite, God doesn't have a body, and the Talmud says, you have to protect your body. To me, it sounds like a little bit of a contradiction. Okay, I don't know what the connection is. Why are we learning that you have to guard your body from a verse that says you have to guard yourselves not to worship idols, not to think that God has a body. Okay, question number two. Ten com- three, question number three. We learn the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments, and the very next verse is, God says, go back to your tents. Why? Specifically after the Ten Commandments, says God said, go home, go to your spouses, go home to your families, go back to your tents. What's the connection there? And... Uh, Additionally, we just saw God speak. It says, we saw the seven heavens ripped open that all there is is God, that God doesn't have a body. And yet the Parsha concludes with, and by the way, did I tell you before? Let me just remind you, don't worship idols. Is there any chance you're going to worship idols after you saw God speak? After you saw the reality that all there is is God? Why do we have to be told again and again not to worship idols? And finally, last question, we have the Shema. The Shema prayer that says, what does the Shema say? Hear, O Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, we'll explain what that means. Hashem is God. Hashem Echad. Not that there's one God. Not that there's one man in the sky. Hashem Echad. Hashem is oneness. Absolute oneness. In other words, there's nothing but Hashem. Just like we said a few minutes ago, Ein od Milvado. There's nothing but Hashem. According to Kabbalah and, and Jewish philosophy, there is nothing but God. God is all there is. <coughs> That's what the Shema prayer is meditating on. There is nothing but God. You think you live in a world? You're wrong. We live within God's mind. So let me ask you a question. This is not my question. This question was asked by the Rizna Rebbe when he was a young boy. Famous Hasidic Rebbe who lived many hundreds of years ago asked this question to the Balatanya, the first Chabad rabbi, uh, Rebbe. And he said, the ver- all, uh, we say Shema Yisrael, there is nothing but God. Nothing but God. And then the very next verse says, you should love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all, with all your heart, with all your, with all your soul, and with all your resources. And what's the contradiction? Shema Yisrael, all there is is God. Next verse says, you should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your resources. Bingo! Says the Rishna Rebbe. When he was a kid, he says to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says, I don't get it. The verse says, all there is is God. And the next verse says, you have to love God. That means you're separate from God. That means there's something besides God. That means we're not one with God. How does that work? It's a contradiction, literally one verse after the next. Okay, so let's let's try to put these pieces together. You ready to go a little bit deep? Let's do it. Okay, the Talmud says, the Medrash says, 
that from a verse in this week's parsha that the voice of Hashem did not stop. And some learned from there that the voice of Hashem at Mount Sinai is continuing to reverberate until today. That there's a voice constantly coming out of Mount Sinai that's calling to each and every Jew, come back, come back to me. Okay, but the Talmud learns something different. The Talmud learns that the voice that echoed at Mount Sinai didn't stop. What that means, says the Talmud, is that there was no echo at Mount Sinai. No echo at Mount Sinai. Do you ever hear that? What's, what's the significance of saying that there was no echo at Mount Sinai? An echo, what's an echo? An echo is when you put sound waves out into the room or out into space, and then those sound waves hit something and bounce back. Right? That's an echo. When, you're, when the sound waves go out and they hit something and bounce back. At Mount Sinai, there was no echo. Lubavitcher Rebbe explains that that means that at Mount Sinai, when the Ten Commandments were said, it was revealed that everything is really sourced in Hashem. That all there is really is godliness, divinity, spirituality. And the physical, the physicality completely absorbed the words of the Ten Commandments. They didn't bounce back. They went right in. The, the physical universe just absorbed the spirituality of Mount Sinai. It went straight into the core of all existence. Because the message that we received at Mount Sinai is that physicality has no independent existence from God. Now, you might have heard people say, ask the question, is there a God? Anyone ever asked that question in your life before? Does God exist? Yeah? So, according to Jewish mysticism, that is not the appropriate question to ask. Because God is all there is. God is reality. God is the source of existence. God is the, the nothingness that preceded stuff. God is no thing. Whatever preceded the Big Bang, whatever preceded creation, universe, was God. It was something that the Big Bang was the beginning of space, time, and matter. Whatever preceded the Big Bang was beyond space, beyond time, beyond matter. And according to Kabbalah, that's called God. So there's no doubt that God exists. There has to be something that's not physical that preceded the physical. Do you understand that? That's, that's philosophically uh, necessary. That if the Big Bang, so to speak, was the beginning of time, space, and matter, then whatever was before that was not physical, did not exist within time, did not exist within matter or space. So according to Kabbalah, the question is not, does God exist? According to Kabbalah, the question is, do you exist? God obviously exists. The question is, what are we? And where are we? That's the real question that we have to ask. Because if all there is is God, there's no room for us. Got it? So, this question that I'm touching on, and we're not going to go too deeper because I see everyone's already falling asleep, uh, is called the Yesh Ayin Paradox. The word Yesh in Hebrew means something, and the word Ayin means nothing. It's the something-nothing paradox. And the way that paradox works is that we believe in Judaism that all there is is God. That means there is nothing else besides God. Ein od milvado. That means there is no world. 
That means the reality is all there is is God today, just like all there was was God before creation. So then what are we? So the Eshayin paradox says, and on one hand all there is is God, on the other hand, we also exist. Not independent from God, but God has created a matrix, so to speak, in which our reality seems very much real. But the real reality is that all there is is God. In other words, we and all the universe and all the other universes and all of physical creation and all of spiritual creation and all the angels and all the dimensions, all of it exists within God's mind. So does it exist? From our perspective, it very much exists. From God's perspective, it doesn't exist. All just a part of Him. Does that make any sense? If it doesn't, that's fine. Because none of this stuff is supposed to make much sense. It's all beyond our normal intellectual understanding of reality. But does it make sense a little bit? Tiny bit? <clears throat> yeah? Okay. <clears throat> so, were we to recognize God's oneness, were God to reveal himself immediately to us, in totality, what would happen to us? We'd burn, we would burn up. No, more than faint, more than faint. Exactly. We, we, right. We, we would melt away. We would cease to exist, just like a candle next to the sun would burn right back into the sun. We would not be there. We would not exist anymore. And so what God did in order to create a world was he had to hide himself. In order for us to exist independently from God, God had to hide himself. And the process of hiding himself is a process called simsum in Kabbalah. We're not going to go into that right now. But the, the name that God uses to hide himself is the name Elohim, which means powers or gods. Now, if you look at something very interesting in the Shema prayer, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel. In English, they say, hear, O Israel, but there's no O in Hebrew. I don't know what O means in English either. But hear Israel, I guess it's more poetic sounding. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Yud Kei Vav Kei, Elokeinu, is Elokeinu, R Elohim, Hashem, Yud Kei Vav Kei, Achad, is one. What does it mean, first of all, Yud Kei Vav Kei is the name of God, which is actually an acronym that stands for what was, what is, what will be. When you say the name yud ke vav we don't pronounce it. We say Adokoi, which is <coughs> just a name, a word that denotes God or Lord, Master, refers to the lowest level of God's revelation in the world. But we have in mind when we say the word, what was, what is, what will be. yud Hey vav hey. It's actually a verb made up of three words. What was, what is, what will be. So God is the source of all existence. What it was, what is, what will be in a single sp 
split instant because God exists beyond time. The name Yud Kevavke is God outside the universe, the source of creation. It's also a verb, which means existence. God is a verb. It's a verb and a noun. The noun is what was, what is, what will be. The verb is existence. To exist. To, to exist. Havaya. So, what, what was, what is, will be Hashem, the source of everything, that which is beyond time, beyond place, <coughs> is Elokeinu. The word Elokim is unique. If you know a little bit about Hebrew grammar, what's unique about that word? Resident Israeli speakers? What happens when you put an im at the end of a word in Hebrew? Was that what you were going to say? Yes. Excellent. Right? If you have a book in Hebrew, a book is called a sefer. Books is safarim. You put an im at the end, you get plural. So the word Elohim means God with an S at the end, which is very problematic because in the Shema prayer, which says that there's one God, it says also that there are gods with a plural. Hashem is our gods with a plural. What does that mean? So the word Elohim is the mask that Hashem created in order to hide himself. Elohim is the numerical value, Hateva, nature. Elohim is the forces of nature that God created throughout the universe to hide himself. It's the, it's the physical mask that God wears, which is the universe, the physical universe around us. It's the name of constriction of Hashem hiding himself. That's what Elohim is. So when we say the Shema, what we're really meditating on is that world that we live in that looks like it has independent existence, it looks like we're governed by many forces, forces of nature, gravity, health, economy, army, war, uh, weather, sun, rain, wind, love. Right? It looks like our lives are governed by many, many forces. The nuclear forces and the quantum forces were controlled by many forces. The Shema tells us all those forces are really one. They all come from one source, from Hashem. Because the forces of the world are just a mask that Hashem's wearing. They're an illusion to hide the reality that all there is is God. Okay, this is deep stuff. So... When we recognize God's oneness and we close our eyes when we say Shema because the world hides God's oneness. We don't see oneness when we look at the world. We see stuff. We close our eyes when we say Shema to, to, take, to recognize the fact that the world lies. Our eyes lie to us. All there is is oneness. We meditate on the fact that in reality all there is is God. And the soul's desire is to literally jump out of the body and return to that source of oneness. Just like a fire on a candle. The flame flickering on the candle is literally trying to extinguish itself. It's trying to jump off the candle. The candle is holding it back. It wants to really fly and soar, but the flame can't get off that candle. And it's, it is a paradox, because if the flame were to jump off the candle, what would happen to that flame? 
it would instantly be extinguished. So the flame both confines, the candle confines the flame while it also gives it life. So too our bodies. Our bodies separate us from God. Our bodies prevent our soul from going back to the source and doing what they really want to do, the soul which wants nothing more than to connect to God. But on the other hand, the body also enables us to exist. Because without the body separating us from God, what would happen to us? We would instantly melt right back into the source. We wouldn't be there. So Hashem, who created the universe in order to give us relationship with Him, in order to give us the greatest pleasure of connection to oneness, had to create us separate from Him. Because if He didn't create the separation, then we wouldn't experience the closeness. Do you guys realize how profound this is? Without separation, you can't experience closeness. Without pain, you can't experience pleasure. If Hashem didn't create us separate from Him, we wouldn't experience the closeness because we wouldn't be there. We would be so close, we wouldn't exist. Somebody, I heard from a rabbi, an amazing line. Why can't I see God in my life? I can't see God. He's so far from me. The reality is you can't see God because He's so close to you. That's why you can't see God. He's in you. He's all around you. There's nothing but Him. All right. So, okay, so I want to tie this back to our questions. So, we started off asking a question. It says that you should guard yourselves and protect yourself very much. Guard your soul to remember that God does not have a body. You do not see a body at Mount Sinai. And the rabbis learned from this that we have to protect our bodies. We have to take care of our health. What's the connection? God doesn't have a body and yet we do and we have to protect our body. The answer is that just like Hashem has no body, we too don't have a body. What do I mean? Ah, we are a soul. We're a soul that has a body. We're a soul that has a body. But the body is not our identity. Our body is not who we really are. So our body is just a vessel for our neshama, for our soul. Our body is like a rental car. Our body is a rental car that allows our soul to drive in this world, in a world that we can connect to God, where God is hidden, so that enough that we can connect Him without burning up. We need the body. The body separates us from God, which is actually a good thing. Because that enables us to exist. So the body enables us to do mitzvahs, to connect to God through the world. But it's just a rental car. Our body's not real. It's not ours. The body's a barrier, but it's also a connector. But the reason we have to take care of our body is because it's not ours. Just like God does not a body, we also don't intrinsically have a body. We, but we're borrowing it, and we have to return it back to him in good condition. Otherwise, we're going to have to pay for the damage waiver. Right? 
Okay, but that wasn't our fault. That was that's natural wear and tear. Natural wear and tear. But you use it according to the owner manual, right? You did not utilize it with in a in an unusual way. You got your oil changes and your tune-ups, and you took care of uh, tire changes and all the stuff you had to do to make sure that your car was in good condition. They can't have, be upset at you that you brought them back an older car. That's fine, as long as you didn't damage the the body or the engine. So, so we, when we abuse our bodies, we're really hurting our souls. And if you, and although you have to take care of your body, and you have to be healthy, when you indulge in the body, that's a form of idolatry, of idol worship, because you're looking at the body as if it's an end in itself. The body, when you indulge in the body, when you give your body too much pleasure, for its own purposes, so that's looking at the bodies if it's in itself. Can you imagine giving your car like oil changes like day after day? Because it just feels so good to get those oil changes. You want that car really lubricated. But that's ridiculous because the car doesn't need it. So when we eat and we indulge in pleasure, food, drink, other bodily pleasures for their own sake, we are indulging as if the body is an end in itself. And that's idolatry. That's a form of idolatry. Instead, we have to utilize the body for the service of Hashem. And Hashem wants us to enjoy pleasure, but for the sake of the soul. So, um, Rebecca, about tattoos, that is the answer often given to why we can't get tattoos because the body's not yours. And it's a beautiful idea, but it's not true. It's not true. That's not the reason why we can't get tattoos. The reason we can't get tattoos, although maybe we could tie it into this idea, is the real reason is because it's associated with idolatry practices and worship of writing certain gods' names on your flesh. But that's why we don't do it. But it's a nice, wonderful idea. The problem with the idea is then how can we get earrings and nose rings and stuff like that? Because that's also doing something different to the body that we're not commanded to do in order to beautify it. So ask your uh, local Orthodox rabbi about body piercings. But tattoos are definitely not allowed, and earrings and nose rings, according to Torah, are are okay. So, I don't know. I don't know about other types of rings. All right. So now, our true nature is like Hashem. We're formless. We exist outside the world. But just like Hashem had to hide Himself into a physical reality in order for us to exist, so too we have to exist in a body. And we have to live in this world with our body. We have to do all the stuff that's necessary in a world, like working, running a country, army, farming, go, uh, raising a family, eating, sleeping, exercising. We have to do all the physical things necessary while knowing that this world is not real. This world is only a means to an end. As it says in Perkei Avos, this world is the entranceway. It's a lobby to prepare yourself to go into the palace. The next world is the true reality. So when we say Shema, we meditate on the fact that there is nothing but Hashem, that this world does not exist. And then we open our eyes and we say something that's not biblical, rabbinic. The rabbis say that after you say Shema, you say another verse, Baruch Shem Kavod Ma'apusol without getting into it, it's almost the opposite idea according to Kabbalah. When we say that verse, we're supposed to open our eyes and look at the pieces of the puzzle. 
Look at the room. Look at the people. Look at the buildings. Look at the clouds and the trees and recognize that also in this world, there's nothing but Hashem. Not only when our eyes are closed and we meditate on the fact there is no world, God is absolute oneness, just as it was before creation, but so too it's absolute oneness within the pieces of the puzzle, through the the multiplicity and the mosaic of existence, we also have to recognize that all there is is God. Through In the stuff, behind the scenes of this puzzle, of this universe, there's also complete oneness and harmony. So, how do we jump from Shema, there's nothing but God, to you should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, as if you're separate from God? And the answer is, is that we live in two worlds. In the world from above, from God's perspective, looking down, there's no world. From our perspective, looking up, there's no God. And the reality is, is that they're both true, because we live in a body which enables us to connect to God and also separates us from God. And there's a pro- process in, in Jewish mysticism called Ratzah Veshov, which means running and returning. We're constantly running, just like the candle, running off the wick, trying to jump up to spirituality and then coming back down. Up and down. And if we would just run up, we would cease to exist, just like if the flame would leap off the candle, it would immediately disappear. Can't exist without the fuel of the candle. So we need to constantly be running closer to God and then running back to the body. Closer to God and going back to the body because we need to stay alive in this world. And that's that all there is is God and you should love God with all your heart because we're intrinsically connected to Hashem and at the same time we're intrinsically disconnected from Hashem. And they're both taking place at the exact same time. Both of those realities. That is the yesh ayin paradox, the something-nothing paradox of creation. In Eastern mysticism, in Hinduism and Buddhism, there is no world. The world does not exist. In Judaism, the world does not exist as an entity on its own. But from our perspective, we have to live as if it exists because we're inside the matrix. You get it? When you get out of the matrix, there is no world. But you know what? When you get out of the matrix, there is no you. So we need the matrix. We need the world. We need the disconnection, the separation from God. And we need to believe that we exist separately from God because he created us to be separate from him in order that we can experience closeness to him. You can only experience closeness to someone who you're disconnected from. Do you get that? How deep is this? This is all new material. I've never said this before. I just can't believe it. It's blowing my own mind. Do you realize this? You can't have closeness to someone unless you're disconnected from them. A baby inside his mother does not experience closeness to his mother. He is his mother at that moment. Only when he's born and separate from his mother can he experience closeness to his mother. Julia, what? That's also true. In, in life also, it's like that. Sometimes you have to be separate from someone in order to recognize how much you love them. Ab- absence, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right. So, one second. One second. Hold your thought, okay? So, 
the Shema states in the Shema prayer, where we say all there is is Hashem and God is one, we also say that gods exist. Other gods exist. They do. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our gods. How can I say? How can we say such a thing? In the very prayer, we believe in one God, monotheism. That's the source of monotheism. Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. There's only one God. We say that there are other gods. And the answer is that there are other gods. We live in a world of multiplicity and a world of different powers and forces that seemingly control our destiny. The Shema prayer is telling us that those other gods that we see with our eyes, the powers that be that control that seem to control our destiny, again, the forces of nature, of the economy, of love, of war, of, of uh, gravity, all of those do not have independent existence. They exist within Hashem. They are all part, part of Hashem. Hashem is Elohim. Elohim is the mask that God is wearing. So we need to be reminded after Mount Sinai, after, uh, I'm not going to answer that question on the record, after Mount Sinai, after we hear the Ten Commandments, after we see that all the heavens ripped open and that all there is is God, we still have to remind it not to worship idols. Because part of that experience of seeing that all there is is God is then returning to our body so that we don't die. Because at Mount Sinai, our souls left our body. It was too big of a revelation. And once you live in the world of the body, you can begin to believe that the body has independent existence. Because we have to constantly jump back and forth between those two modalities of something versus nothing. And that's why immediately after Mount Sinai, the Torah says, return to your tents. Go back to your families. And in fact, specifically, go back to husband and wife, physical intimacy. Because that's part of the process is taking the spirituality and bringing it in to physicality. To be able to uplift the body, to recognize that the body is just a means and a vehicle to spirituality. And that's why Moshe prays to enter into the land of Israel so much. He wants so badly into the, into the land of Israel, even though he's already there. He already recognizes the oneness of God. Why? Because the ultimate goal is to take that awareness and bring it in to the way you live your life in the matrix. Moshe was living outside the matrix. He was kind of like on the fringe. He was able to go in and out of consciousness from this world of something to the world of nothingness. But he wanted to be able to bring it into the land of Israel, which is the place where we are able as Jews to fully recognize that all there is is God while living in the paradox that all there is is world. And that's precisely what happens in the land of Israel. That's precisely what the spies were afraid about, which is why they complained about going into the land of Israel. They didn't want to go into a world of so much materialism because we know when we go into the land of Israel, we have to farm. We have to wage war. We have to make an army. We have to elect government officials. We have to learn how to build cities. We have to like get make make all the all the business of running a state. It's very complicated, of living in a physical world. And yet the Torah wants us to do all the physical things while being completely connected to the idea that everything is spiritual, and that's the ultimate goal. Moshe wanted to be part of that process, but alas. He had to remain in the world of the desert. He wasn't able to bring it all the way down to earth because his role was to bring the Torah down to earth and then give it to us. And our job was to bring it to the next level, which is actually practically
putting it into practice. So I believe that answers our questions. And finally, I'll conclude with just saying, stating that this week's Parsha, uh, Shabbos, is called Shabbos Nachamu, which is the Shabbos of, of consolement after Tisha B'Av. And the word Nachamu, Nachem, Nachama, the first time we see that word in the Torah is it says that God had Nachama of having, he, he had Nachama, the word Nachama of having created man. And the, uh, the translation there is that he regretted or changed his mind about having created man. And of course, God doesn't change his mind. It's a, we have to understand what that means there. But the, what it shows us is that the word Nachama, consolation, really means to change your outlook, to change your mind. When a person has a loss in their life, at that moment, they feel broken. They feel like there is no purpose, there is no God, there is no reason for the suffering that I'm going through. When a person eventually gets past the mourning stage, and they, right, there are five stages of grief in, ther- in therapy. There's stage of, of, uh, of shock, there's a sh- stage of anger, a stage of bargaining, a stage of, um, I can't remember, and then eventually acceptance and meaning making. But in order to get to the final level of grief, you have to go through the different stages. But once you get to the final stage, you're able to look back and find meaning in the loss. That's Nahama. Nahama is changing your outlook, changing your perspective. When we are upset or suffering in this world, that's because we're living in the outlook of all there is is world. World is real. What happens in this world is the be-all and the end-all. And some people have more power than us and more money than us and it's not fair and there's no justice. We have to have nechama, means we have to change our outlook, change our perspective, see the world from God's view, from the world of ayin, the world of nothingness. And suddenly you see there is no world. All there is is God. That means everything that happens is good. Everything that happens is part of a master plan. And we have to learn how to constantly go in and out of both perspectives. Not like in the East, where all there is is God and world doesn't exist. In which case, you can let people die and starve around you. No, Torah says you have to fight against injustice. You have to fight against poverty and sickness. We have to do whatever we can to help our brothers and sisters. And, to, and as if the world is real. As if, as if what we do in this world makes a difference. Because it does make a difference. When we do things that are, that are mitzvahs, those are eternal. Those are the things we should get upset about and that we should be happy about. (laughs) Not about how much money is in our bank account or how many likes we have on Facebook. On the mitzvahs that we do, because those are the only things that stay with us in this world and the next. Because mitzvahs are a currency that lasts in both worlds. In the world of stuff and the world of spirituality, of nothingness. So uh, we should all be blessed that this Shabbos and this week and every day of our life, we should say the Shema morning and night and meditate on the fact that all there is is God and then we should open up our eyes and see that even in the world of disparity and multiplicity where we don't see God, also all there is is God. But in this side of the matrix, we're partners in that process of revealing God's oneness to the world. And we have to do our part to share the beauty and the harmony by helping to create beauty and harmony and spirituality wherever we go.
Thank you guys for listening. And uh, I'm opening up to questions now. <laughs>